Well, I want to continue to speak on the topic of prayer this morning, and uh, we're going to our we're still going to stay in the getting towards the end of our Lord's prayer study because we're almost done. And um, and I got to say, this has uh, been a been a really interesting study for me, and I've been really um, hoping that you're getting something out of it as well. And as we pray the Lord's prayer every time, that we're understanding more about it as we're digging into the, what it means to to pray the way Jesus asks us to pray. And as we've been doing this, we've been working our way through the, the Lord's Prayer. We start off by, by telling Him how good He is, and we're praising Him, and we're adoring Him, and we're, we're acknowledging God as our Father in heaven. And then we start asking about His kingdom and bringing His kingdom to earth, and, we're, and His will to be done on earth now as it is in heaven and we're, we've also mentioned how we pray. We can either pray that thy will be done on earth and thy will be done in earth. Two different interpretations. And uh, I hope that, you know, we talked about, and I hope you can grasp the difference between on earth and in earth. On earth is kind of a big, grandiose prayer of God having your will through all of the nations. And in earth is more about a personal application because it's in the earth and vessel of myself. My earth, that I'm made up of earth, that I was formed, we are formed by the, in the image of God in, of, of the dust of the earth. And the Holy Spirit breathed into that pile of dust and we became a living soul. So that becomes my earth. So when I pray, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, it's in Mike or in you. And that's a real uh, intentional, purposeful, personal way to pray. God's will be done. Then we pray for daily provision and sustenance that we would learn how to depend more and more on God alone for our daily needs, physical and spiritual, that we're asking Him, trusting Him to fulfill our daily needs. And then we pray to be forgiven by God and then at the same time to forgive other people. And I think that is really an important topic and maybe it's more important than maybe we give credence to. Forgiveness is really a big deal. Forgiveness is freedom. When I can learn to forgive people, I can be free of the bondage that would be placed on my life by holding on to that grudge or that ill thought or whatever it is. It, that binds me to that person. And when I can free myself by forgiving them, I no longer am bound. And I can live a life truly of freedom. And, and I think one of the most important things is we can learn to forgive ourselves too. We can be bound to our own bondages by not forgiving ourselves. So forgiveness is the, is the key to freedom. And here, after all this time we've spoken about this and for all the times and the years that people have been praying the Lord's Prayer, faithfully praying the Lord's Prayer, yet the world hasn't gotten any better. <laughs> the world is still as bad as it was. In fact, it might be even getting worse. We live, in a, we live in a world that is hostile to heaven. Do you know that? We live in a world that is hostile to the things of God. We live in a world that is under the domain of the fallen ones 
of heaven, Satan and the third or so of the angels that he deceived, this is their kingdom today. This is the kingdom of Satan today because man gave it to them when, we, when they fell of that sin. Remember, God created this beautiful place that we live. He created this for mankind that we should enjoy it forever and ever. It wasn't his intention that we would ever die. It wasn't his intention that, we would ever, that it would ever be twisted into this sinful world that it is. But because of the choices a man made, the devil has been, have been, has been given the authority. So therefore, we live under his domain today. That's a fact. Satan still has the opportunity to roam this earth. Even though that Christ came and provided a way out through the cross where Satan was defeated, we still live under his domain. Maybe that's a little bit hard to understand when the fact of the matter is that he's already been defeated, but yet he's still roaming the earth trying to destroy who he can. Let me give you a little example maybe that we can appreciate. Uh, being that this is Super Bowl Sunday, let me just give you this example. All right, It's late in the fourth quarter. There's three minutes or left of the game, and the Patriots are ahead of the Eagles, one million to zero. One million to zero. What are the chances of the Eagles winning? What are the chances of the Eagles winning when they're behind one million to zero with less than three minutes to go in the fourth quarter of the game? Probably not very good. Probably like zero percent, right? I mean, they've been defeated. So what do, so what do they do? Do they stop playing the game? Do they say, oh, no, no chance of you winning, so we're going to stop the game with three minutes to go? No, they play the game out, don't they? No matter if it's obvious that the Patriots are going to win and there's no way the Eagles are going to be able to mount a comeback to score a million and one points in less than three minutes, the game continues to play. They play it out, even, even at the risk of one of the players getting hurt. They could say, oh, wait, wait, let's stop because somebody might get hurt. No, the rules are you play the game. Play it out to the final seconds tick away. And then the game's over. Even if there's no chance for the Eagles to win, they play the game out. Well, can I say that's the same way in our spiritual life today? That Jesus has already won. I mean, he, he's, it, the score is a billion to zero, and there's just no way the devil's going to win because the scoreboard, the eternal scoreboard, is already saying Jesus has, has won, but yet there's still seconds on the clock. So what happens? We have to play life out. We don't quit. The game continues in life, and even at the risk of somebody getting hurt, even at the risk of somebody maybe falling down in their salvation, the game still plays out even though Jesus already won. The game still plays on. You see that point? God already has won. Satan has already been defeated, but yet he's still roaming the earth because I am still in my personal battle. Even though the game has been won, I could still get hurt in the game if I'm not careful on how I live my life. That's why we pray the, what we pray in the Lord's Prayer. 
Thank the Lord there is coming a day when all redemption will happen to all of the universe and all will live under a perfect rule of Christ called the millennial reign and when the, Satan is defeated and uh, put away, we will have freedom, fully freedom, and we will live in a perfect life in a perfect environment and thank the Lord for that when that's coming. That's going to be an awesome day. But we're not there yet, so we have to keep playing the game. And this is why we continue to pray the Lord's Prayer. So if you will stand with me this morning and let's pray it again. And then we're going to focus on another portion of it today as we're going to continue to understand how Jesus is teaching us how to pray. So if you stand with me, we'll read Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 9, at the Lord's Prayer. Pray it with me. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, we thank you for that prayer today. We thank you for that assurance of faith. And Lord, I pray that you would just continue to open our hearts and our minds to hear your word today and to be encouraged by it. Teach us, Lord. Open our spiritual eyes and prepare that spiritual soil that we may plant the seed deep and it may take root and grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Today we're going to focus on asking God to lead us and deliver us from evil. Evil that the enemy is intending for everyone everywhere in God's great creation. There is not one person that is exempt from the evil of the evil one. So verse 13 says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is really a two-part request in this verse. One part is asking the Lord, Lead us not into temptation, which is a future perspective. Lead us not into temptation. You don't be led where you've already been. No, you're being led to a future place. Lead us not into temptation. That's a future aspect. And then the second part is that he would deliver us from our present condition, the present evil situation that we find ourselves in. So we're asking that we would be led not into temptation, into a future temptation, and deliver us from the evil that we're currently facing. And we're going to talk about that today. What does that really mean? It may sound a little strange that we're asking God, asking God not to lead us into temptation. Why would God lead us into temptation? What does that mean? Are we reading it right? Is there something more that needs to be said about that? Lead us not into temptation. What was Jesus meaning here when he, told, when he said this? Was he implying that God could somehow lead people into temptation? That God would somehow lead me into a bad position, a bad situation, a temptation? Well, I think that would be contrary to God's word because God does not lead any man into temptation or sin. James chapter 1, verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God is not a tempter. 
He cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt. Rather, God's character is holy and righteous, as we're, said, as we're told in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. For it is written, be holy because I, God, am holy. God's holy. God is not a tempter. So then how do we proceed in understanding what Jesus is saying here about lead us not into temptation? As we see Scripture, throughout Scripture, all of Scripture is about leading, actually. There's so much given to us about God's leading people. Psalms, chapter 5. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. The common application in God's Word is God leading us. Psalms, chapter 27, verse 11. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Lead me. Psalms 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any wicked way within me or any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. God is all about leading us. Now let's make an observation about leading. One of the key elements of a good leader is that people must be following. There must be a two parts here. There must be a leader and a follower. If we're not following, then the leader isn't very effective in his leadership. So if we have expectations of Jesus being a good leader, then there is an expectation of us to do what? We must be a good follower. If Jesus is doing a good job leading, then we must be doing a good job of following if there's going to be that good relationship. So we must be good followers. And, and we all know what it looks like when we're, we watch a person that's training a dog or maybe having a dog that's untrainable. <laughs> the dog's on a leash, and we've all seen it. That dog is leading the person, <laughs> pulling them down the street. And uh, if it's a big enough dog, that person's in kind of a world of a hurt, especially if it's a small person, that who's doing the leading? <laughs> or if you see that situation where that dog sits down and doesn't want to lead, doesn't want to walk, and that person's dragging him by the leash. We've seen that too. Either way, it isn't a good relationship between a dog and the person. Who's leading? Who's following? It's very clear that that's a good example of a not, not a good leadership followership model. But Jesus is seen as the great shepherd, and, and we, like his sheep, follow him and we are to follow him and and so as we look at this scripture it's really more about the principle of um, the sense of permitting things to happen that, that, that it's a more a permitting thing that we're asking God our father to lead us away from the areas of temptation that may overtake us if we were wandering around on our own if we weren't following Jesus, if we weren't on the proverbial leash, spiritual leash, then possibly we could find ourselves getting into some temptations and some, some areas that we're unprotected in. So by following God, by following him, even though some things may be happening in our life, it's not him leading into that area of sinful temptation. What we're asking him to do is, Lord, lead us away from that, if it be your will. Take us out of that. It's a future thing. James chapter 1 tells us again that um, if we don't find ourselves 
following Christ, what we'll find ourselves in is fulfilling the second part of that passage in James that I didn't read, which is verses 14 and 15. So let's, let's just review. In James chapter 1, verse 13, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But verse 14, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. There's a progression here. There is a sin or a temptation slash sin progressionary cycle here. We see sin beginning as a temptation and then progressing through the process of the will and the desire of a person that would grow then into sin. So let's look at the progression here because this is an important thing that we must realize, the pattern of what would happen. A person is tempted. Right? And there is no sin yet in the temptation. Jesus was tempted in all ways as a man, but yet he didn't sin. So it's not the temptation that's the sin. Right? It's what we do here after the fact. Everyone undergoes temptation. It says then that they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So now the temptation is taking a life of its own. It's um, it, it, it picture a, a, a thought floating through the air, landing on a person's mind, landing into their brain. What happens there, it makes the big difference. That person thinks about it, and he doesn't take any action against the thought, but he lets that thought become a real thing in his brain, and he starts thinking about it, he starts developing it, he starts meditating on it, and it begins to develop into a desire to take action on that thought. This is the dragging away phase of the cycle. The thought now is taking a life. It's conceiving. It's, it's after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And that's an interesting word picture here. When, they, when you think of the word conceive, what do you think about? Babies, yeah. You think about somebody getting pregnant. Conception, uh, conceiving, and what's interesting about that is that what, what it takes to get pregnant is two people. Two things have to come together to conceive. You have to have, you have, to have the egg, and then you have to have the sperm, and they come together, and they conceive, and now a new life is taking place. You cannot separate any longer the two elements that came together. They've conceived into a new life. That's what happens. That's why this is such an interesting word picture here is that as we look at the, going back to James, we have two distinct things here. We have a temptation and we have the evil desire. And when they come together into the fertile place of a person's mind or their heart of a person, the conception takes place when the desire and the, and the, and the temptation mingle together. They come together and all of a sudden now we're conceiving a thing called sin. In our normal day-to-day living, we have temptations and we have evil desires. They're constantly around us. And as we pray this prayer, Lord, lead us not into temptation, what we're really doing here is that we're asking the Lord, keep these elements separate in my mind. Do not let the temptation and the desire come together to conceive sin. Does that make sense? 
that we're asking the Lord to separate the two and don't let us have that fertile soil where we have the conception happening. We're, we, we live in a world that is broken. We live in a world full of temptations. We live in a world full of evil desires. The prayer of God, lead me not into temptation, is a way to say, Father, keep them separate in my life. Don't let these two things come together to conceive, to make a new life of sin. Make sense? Paul gives us some great ways to do this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning at verse 3, he says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish, strong, we de we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul clearly understands that we cannot separate ourselves from the world that we live in. We're going to be living in a world of sin. And spiritual warfare is different than physical warfare. This warfare of our sin life is not a physical battle. It is a spiritual battle. And we need to recognize that this is not conventional hand-to-hand -hand combat. This is spiritual combat. This is where we need to place our lives in a spiritual control of Jesus. We need to have the Holy Spirit here giving us help. And here's how we do this. So we need to be smart about where we place ourselves in the area of temptations. We need to be concerned about where we're going with our physical lives in the spiritual sense so that we don't bring ourselves into temptation that's not wise to be in. There are things that we do and there are places that we go that we shouldn't be there. You shouldn't place yourself in a position where we know the temptation's there and it's going to impact your ability potentially to stay free. So be wise here. Be wise. For example, the movies that we watch, the books that we read, the music that we listen to, the smorgasbords that we go to. I mean, if we have a problem with obesity, if we have a problem with controlling our appetites, then be careful where you go. Don't go to the all-you-can-eat places if you have a struggle with that. If you have a problem in any area of control, be it drinking possibly, don't, start, don't even indulge in it. Um, be careful if you're with someone of the opposite sex that you're attracted to. Be careful where you go alone with that person. See, all of these things on their own are not bad. I mean, a movie, a book, a music, a drink, a smorgasbord, I mean, they're not bad in themselves. Money is not bad in itself. But it's when I go there in a weak condition. I know that I struggle with some particular areas. And if I know that I struggle with a particular area, then don't put yourself in a position that you're going to be tempted beyond what you can bear. Just be smart. See, the temptation of the movie, the message of the book, the feeling that we get when we have the drink, the smell of the food, the attraction of the person, those are the things that would bring the conception phase where I take the temptation and the desire and they come together and all of a sudden I'm in a position where it says, oh, man, I just can't resist. I've got to go back up for seconds. 
of whatever it is. And all of a sudden now, we're allowing that thing to conceive into a thing called sin. Paul just told us that we demolish the arguments and every pretension that sets up itself against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Put the filter on. Put that, put that thought process in to say, whatever comes through my mind, analyze it. What is it? Where is it taking me? Is it going to be good for me, for me to follow and act this thing out, or should I take it obedient to Christ, and should I kill it? Should I demolish it? Yeah, that's being, that's being wise. We have to have a plan to guard our minds and to take captive every thought by making it obedient to Christ. And that is the only way that we can truly protect ourselves. See, Jesus was tempted, and he didn't sin. Jesus knew how to take every temptation and every thought, and he knew how to live victoriously in it. So we need to be like Christ. Take every thought that floats through our minds, filter it out, should I go there? Should I go to that site on the computer? If I'm having a problem with, with pornography, should I even go there? I know what's going to happen. I know what the pictures I'm going to see. So don't even click on that Facebook page or that link or that YouTube video, whatever. Just avoid it because I know what it's going to do. It's going to entice me. And it's going to, I'm going to struggle with that. Does that make sense? Yeah. The next promise of this scripture provides a segue into the deliverance aspect of prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but, but deliver us from evil. See, God promises that he will never lead us and then leave us with what a way, without a way to get out of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul speaking again, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. You're not different than any other person that walks this earth, and neither am I. None of us are, are able to escape all temptation. Temptation is coming, and it's common to all people. But God is faithful. He will not let, let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. The reality is we're going to find ourselves in situations in life that if we don't apply our own self-discipline through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to get ourselves in trouble. This is not giving God the ability, or this is not giving ourselves an out. Let me say it that way. Um, I cannot blame God for the temptation that I find myself in. I cannot blame God for the situation that I find myself in when I find this temptation overcoming me because God has given me a way out of it. I can't say, no, it's too hard. God, you've led me down a path now that I can't get out of, and therefore I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm going to blame it on you. <laughs> There's no way that we can do that. It just doesn't work. I just put a picture, I just put a, a, a painting up in my house and, and going out of my house into my garage. Like every time I walk out of my house, I'm going to see this. It says, the will of God will not take you where the grace of God will not protect you. The will of God will not take you where the grace of God will not protect you. 
I will not find, God will not lead me into an area that he's going to then abandon me to my own pretenses. No, he will always give me a way out. He will always give me that protection. So how do we apply this? How do we apply this in our life? We need to recognize clearly that God is faithful. And if we follow his will, he will always place us in a place that's beneficial for us. It may not be easy, but it will be beneficial for us. God's will will always put us in a place that we will gain from. Never will he leave us at a place that will detract or destroy us. That's not God's plan. That's not who God is. He, we, might find, we may find ourselves <clears throat> in a situation where maybe falling down, but we cannot say to ourselves, well, God did this to me. God gave me that temptation. and He's not giving me the way out. No, it's very important that we recognize that the enemy is so good at deception. He is so powerful in his own deception that he will twist things in the minds of people to make it appear that God's to blame. God is not to blame. He does not create in us an evil heart. That evil heart is created from Satan. That evil heart is the result of the fall that we're going to have to deal with. And he is not, it is not God's fault. Rather, God gives us a way out. Last week we talked about this, and this is the big problem in our society today, that we have, an, we have a problem with our identity. We allow our choices, we allow our preferences, we allow our orientations to become our identity when they're not our identity. Our identity is we're created in the image of God. Our identity is to be a godly man. That's who our identity is. And, and then we have to deal with our orientation issues. We have to deal with our, our choices as sinful choices or not-so-good choices, but they, they do not change our identity. It's not who I am. It's just who, what I do. My identity is in Christ. What I do does not change my identity. Thank the Lord that he's always able to give us a deliverance from evil. He's always willing to give us a way out as we choose to find it, as we choose to be diligent in it, and to be, and to be asking for that, to be looking for that. Now, there may be a, a testing period that God will go through, and I haven't used that word today much, but there is some testing that the Lord will allow us to go through. Do you know that? Do you know that the Lord will test you? Why? I mean, if he already knows that I'm going to pass or fail, why would he test? Well, maybe it's because I need to hear the test. Maybe it's for me as much as anybody else that I need to know. God may allow some situations to occur in my life that would put us under the microscope, if you will, of God's test for a period of time. And this could require a whole new sermon topic that we're not going to take the time to go into today, but that testing process is real. And it's not to destroy. It is to examine ourselves so that we would know, test me, O Lord, and know if there's any anxious way within me. And then lead me into a way of everlasting. After you test me, that I would know my heart's desire, then lead me. Lead me out of it. Don't leave me in it. Lead me out of it. Deliver us from evil. We need to know that when God puts us into that time of testing, he's never hoping that we would fail. He's never hoping that we would fail so that he could punish us. That's not the God that loves us. That's not his plan at all. 
He would have us pass the test, and he would have us, and he would give us the provision that we would be diligent in our actions and, and our choices to choose the way that would be a successful passing of the test. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials or tests of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces some things in your life. It produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In my class this morning with the girls, in our Sunday school class with the teens, we talked about maturing and growing up. How important it is that we grow up in our Christian faith. It's sad to see physically babies, children that have mental issues or situations that they don't progress. That person may be very happy in their state, but it's hard to see that. It's hard to see. We want to have natural growth. We want to have, we want to have that, that growing up process. Well, spiritually, we need to have the same growing up process. To have a person that knows Jesus and accepted Jesus in their life, but they don't mature, there's a real danger sign there. Not only is the maturing not healthy, you can, without, a, without a maturing of that salvation process that a person can fall back, you don't stay at a plateau very, very long. You either are going up or going down. So the maturing process is very important. And, and God brings sometimes tests, trials, because he knows that, that, that as you persevere in that test, his grace will grow you if you allow that. His mercy, his grace, those lessons you learn through that testing process will grow you up. God is out to make us better versions of ourselves all the time. He's created us in his image, but that image doesn't mean we're perfect. That image is the fact that we are teachable, that we are growable, <laughs> and he will grow us and he will teach us and he will make us better versions of ourselves through the tests that God brings into our life. This is intended to bring us encouragement today for us to be good followers, that God is a great leader as we're good followers. We are to do everything we can to follow Christ in every aspect. A leader can't be blamed because the, refu the, the follower refuses to lead, to follow. Do you know that? The leader can't be blamed if the, if the person, the follower, chooses not to follow. You can't blame the leader. If the leader's doing a good job, if the leader's bringing a good, uh, good food, good nourishment, I mean, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. That's the old saying, correct? You can lead him there, but you can't force him to drink. That's up to us. My Bible commentary says this. If Christians give in to temptation and sin, it is not because Christ's power and provisions are inadequate, it is because they fail, the person fails to rely on the Holy Spirit's power to help them resist their own ungodly desires. God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness and through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We can live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Yeah, God has given us everything he, we need if we would just follow him. That's the plan. God's right here with us, and, he was, and he's reaching out his hand to us if we would just reach up and take it. Amen? He wants that. God is in the business 
of delivering us when we humbly ask to be lifted out of the problem. When we humbly ask him, he will give us the deliverance of the temptations. And he will deliver us from evil. That's his promise. We can overcome every temptation and find a way out if we sincerely desire to please God and if we depend on his power and faithfulness. That's where you have to pray like my grandpa prayed. Lord, if you'll lift them up, I'll lay them down. If you lift them up, Lord, I'll lay them down. That's that faithful plodding on that we need to have. It, it, it doesn't take a lot of fanfare sometimes. Sometimes it's just getting up and getting the job done, whether I feel like it or not, right? Whether I feel like it's going to be a great day in the Lord or not, you never know until you get through the day. And the more you're faithful in your plotting, I'll I, I will promise you the better your days will become. Plot on, brother. Keep on moving. Keep on moving ahead. Keep your head in the game. Don't give up. The will of God will not take you or the grace of God will not protect you. Amen. I want to just end the message today by quoting Psalm 40. You can open, it, you can open your Bible or I'll put it on the screen. Psalm 40. I just want to, to end the message this morning by listening to what the psalmist cried out. You know, David went through some hard times too. Do you know that? He did. This was not, his life was not all, all grand. Let's just read this. Psalm chapter 40, beginning at verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our Lord, our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and of your saving help. I do not conceal your love or your faithfulness from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. There are more than the, they are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. Please, be, be, be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire may my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, the Lord is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help, my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. You know, sometimes we just need to read Scripture. 
We just need to read some of the Psalms. Go back and read the Lord, the Word of God, and let it just encourage you and mature you and develop in you a heart of thanksgiving because the Lord is faithful. He will not put you in a position and leave you there alone without helping you out. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you are always on our side. And Lord, yes, there may be times that we are appearing to go through the hard times of life and that may be pretty rocky. But Lord, we know that you are leading us to green pastures. We know that you are leading us to places that would only make us better and it would only be better for us. So Lord, as we are praying this prayer that you've taught us to pray, that we would, Lord, really trust you in all areas and all times of our life. That you would not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yeah, that is, you, that is your faithful prayer. That is your faithful promise to us. And we then take it to heart, and we thank you, and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.